I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. So welcome to the show. I'm Dan, and you're listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. And today we are sharing a survivor story. These survivor stories are powerful, they are uplifting, they are sometimes difficult, but they are always such a giving part of our community. And so those survivors who share, like today's guest, are so important to us and we, and we treasure these moments. So today we are talking with September, who is a survivor, who reached out to us and said some very nice things about the show. So thank you for that, September. My pleasure. And also wanted to share her story because... In part, it is therapeutic, from what I understand, but also to give back. So what I'd like to do, September, is, is let you tell your story a little bit. Um, what I do want to do also, though, is when you sent in your information to us, one of the things that really hit me was one of the paragraphs that you said that I, I want to read, because this is what really, as one of the producers, really struck me. You said... Uh, I believed my story to be unique. I believed it must be my fault that I was being abused. And then if I only were better, smarter, skinnier, quieter, wealthier, and so many more errs, then he would stop abusing me and we could be happy together. And wow, that hit me. The fact that you told yourself that, that you learned that, that whatever that might be, that, and then you end it with, we could be happy together. Yeah. Very powerful. So thank you for sharing that vulnerability. L let, let me ask you to, to share your story. Where did this start? Where did, it end, where did it end up? And how did you find your way out? So September, please share your story if you would. Yeah. Um, thank you for giving me the space to do this. Um, you're right. It is therapeutic. That's one of the things that I've learned already is that it's incredibly therapeutic to share my story. It's interesting listening to the questions that I get asked and things like that. And I think it helps me process a lot of it. And then also the giving back piece, you know, um, I think that part of healing is that giving back, that kind of reaching back and helping somebody who's in a space that you used to be in and that you've sort of gotten through. So my story really begins, um, uh, 2015, 2014, sorry, was when we met and started dating. And, um, you know, we became friends first. And that's, that was a really powerful thing for me, because we, you talk about that a lot in relationships and how to be in a healthy relationship. It's important to have a friendship, right? And make that a big part of your relationship. So we became friends and we would hang out and we would just have a good time. 
And we did that for several months, actually, before we really started dating. And then um, then things took a turn and we started dating and we became very quickly went from dating to a couple, which that was the piece for me that that happened too quickly. And I remember asking him one day, like, are you referring to me as your girlfriend? Do you tell people that I'm your girlfriend? And he he was like, of course, like, that's a silly question. Um, but obviously to me, if I was even asking that question, then that was a little bit too soon. Like I wasn't quite there yet, you know, and I wanted to have a conversation about that. Um, so that would have been a red flag if I had been paying attention for sure. Um, so he basically, you know, we, we started dating and it, it wasn't too long before, um, I had children from a previous marriage. And so then he met my children, um, and uh, one of the powerful pieces about that was that I hadn't dated anybody since my divorce. And it had been quite a while. I waited about two years. Um, and, uh, and when he came into the picture for the first time with my children, it was the first time that I had ever felt like I didn't have to be mom and dad. And so I, I remember just this feeling of like relaxing. And just like, oh, oh my goodness, this is what it means to just be mom, you know, and not have to be mom and dad. Mm. Um, and so that was, that kind of brought me in. And then, you know, the other red flags were flattery. He was, he was very much about flattery. Um, he wasn't really a, a bring roses kind of guy. He was more about, you're so amazing. You're so smart. I love our conversations. You, you know, uh, just building me up. Um, and looking back now, even though he did it with malicious intentions, it still was a gift to me that I've taken away from the relationship because he really did build me up and it really did add to my confidence. And so it's actually, it's a gift, even though it was, you know, on his end, it was malicious. For me, I still have that. He can't take that away from me. Um, so it really... I mean, things were good. Things were actually really, really good. I remember thinking to myself, this is the first time I've ever been in a healthy relationship. Like this is actually a legitimately healthy relationship. Um, but then it was when I got pregnant and the pregnancy was intentional. It was planned. Um, when I got pregnant, there was a switch in his eyes. And I, you know, you know, the narcissistic stare, like the way that they look at you. And that's a huge part of what drew me into him was the way that he would look at me. It was like, it was like when he would look at me, he was like piercing my soul. And um, now I understand what that meant. At the time, I loved it because I felt like he I felt like I was being seen. I felt like he was actually seeing me. Um, so so it was the it, the way that he would look at me was always very, very important to me. And it was that switch that happened as soon as I got pregnant. I saw it in his eyes and all of a sudden I became his property. I was no longer an autonomous individual i was now his property he owned me and to this day in his mind he owns me um so so that was when things started to go downhill and then um there was you know all of the classic markers i've i still see a therapist now and i think everybody should get a, a good therapist my therapist is amazing um but uh i remember my therapist and i at one point we went down the list of uh, types of abuse and he hit every single marker financial spiritual emotional psychological um physical i mean everything he hit every single marker and the thing is you know what's intriguing to me about this show is the name of it is 
I'm not in an abusive relationship. After the, I don't, I don't know if it was while I was still pregnant or if it was after she was born, um, when I realized this is abuse and, um, and one of my girlfriends even knew it too. And she actually, she and I were at lunch one day and she, we were talking and, you know, um, I was telling her about some of the problems that I was having with him and things like that. And she said, Hey, there's this book that I read once and it's a fantastic book. And she just got on Amazon right there and just had it shipped straight to my house. And, um, it's called the verbally abusive relationship. And so, you know, people knew not just me, but other people knew that I was being abused too. But I think one of the problems that we kind of have with our, uh, cultural conditioning around abuse and specifically for women. I don't know if this is true for men or not, but um, I can only speak from the female perspective. But um, basically, I, I, you know, we're told that if he ever lays a hand on you, you get out, like, don't give him the opportunity to do it again, because if he does it once, he's gonna do it again. But we don't talk about that with emotional and psychological abuse. You know, with emotional and psychological abuse, it's more like, well, go to therapy, get some help. And we don't talk about how that escalates too. And that gets worse and worse. And then you get sucked into this, oh, it must be me, I'm crazy um, pathology. Um, and and I, that kind of bothers me now, now that I'm out of it and looking back and understand abuse from such a different perspective now. I think, you know, if somebody's emotionally or psychologically abusive, they're an emotional or psychological abuser. And so why aren't we putting the same amount of get out of that relationship? You don't belong there. Um, emphasis on that. So just kind of one of my little tangents there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, abuse is abuse is abuse. It doesn't matter if it's physical or emotional or anything. Power and control is abuse. So yeah. that's a great, that's a great point, September. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, so, so I knew that I was being abused. And I, I was even aware of it. And I remember saying to him at one point, like this, this is abuse. Like, why don't you see that you're abusing me? And, uh, and he, one of those classic like textbook abuser responses was he said, the only reason you feel abused is because you read a book on abuse. And I, you know, at the time I was like, even at the time, I think I looked at that one and was like, are you serious? Like, that's just ridiculous right there. Um, but yeah, that was his response to that. So you know, we we went uh, went along for a while, and we had a child together now. And so there was just that in my mind, there was that kids are better off if their parents stay together mentality. And so it was very much for me about trying to make it work. How can we make this work? So we started therapy. Um, we saw now he's an attorney, and so um, the first therapist that we saw actually, he just charmed him. And that therapist eventually just graduated us and said, you guys are great. Like, you don't need therapy. You're, you're doing just fine. And looking back now, you know, it was just, there was a, there was a little bit of a, a male um, rivalry going on there. Like, who's better? You're an attorney. I'm a therapist kind of a thing. It was definitely there. Um, and so the, he just, I don't know, it just didn't do anything for us. Didn't do anything beneficial for us at all. Um, and so then I hired another therapist who she was focused on codependency. That was her whole platform was um, letting go of codependency. And, uh, and things by this point were just bad. And I was not doing okay. I was not doing well at all. And I remember I sent her an email. We've done at least one or two sessions. 
And I sent her an email one day and I said, look, something's wrong here. I don't know what's wrong, but this is more than just poor communication. This isn't something that communication is going to solve. Like something is very, very wrong. And she wrote me back and she a little bit blew me off. She wasn't like completely like, no, don't, it's nothing, but a little bit like, it's fine. We'll take care of it. No big deal. You know, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did the session and in the next session that we did, she, and she did this very intentionally. She turned the entire session on me in, in a good way, in a positive way, um, in what for a healthy person would have been a positive thing. Um, and she, you know, she was just like, you're doing so great. Look at all of your accomplishments. And then, Hey, to him, Hey, look at her. Isn't she doing wonderful? Look at everything that she's accomplished. Look at, you know, blah, 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 all these wonderful things about me. Right. And then he, of course, his response, because he has to appear perfect to the community is, Oh my gosh, she's amazing. And, you know, just on and on and on about everything that I was doing and how wonderful I was. So then we get off this it was a, a Skype session. So we get off the Skype session and I think that we had already planned to go out on a date that night. And um, when we got home that night, he ripped into me in a way that he had never done before. And that thank God has never happened again since, but he, he I, I don't even remember. I think I've actually blocked most of what he actually set out, but I just remember by when he was done, I collapsed like I just collapsed at the top of the stairs and I felt dead and so numb and so empty inside like I just felt like my soul had just been like I don't it's hard to describe the the feeling but it's just it was so empty and so like I just I couldn't even cry because I was so just numb inside I just I couldn't believe what had just happened um and so that was that was probably my lowest point right there. And I think after that was when I started to say, I'm not okay with this. Like I'm gonna start standing up for myself. And so I started standing up for myself more and more. Um, and that was, you know, with a narcissist like this who has to be perfect, like it's not okay to stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things just went downhill and we ended up getting pregnant again having a set of twins and um and then it wasn't long after the twins were born before it was like this relationship is just done it's just it's over we're not doing this anymore um and so we mutually agreed to separate and then he started all of these little just little devious covert um things that just looking back it's like it was all very intentional like um we had, I have uh, seven children total. And so um, we had a big, one of those big giant vans, you know, and he um, took it one night after we had separated, after he had moved out of the house, he took it and I knew he was going to, um, but he took it to go out with his buddies. And then the next morning, you know, I had to go pick up my kids. I had to drive all the way across town to pick up my kids. And, uh, and when my kids get in the car, they said, mom, why are there beer cans back here? And they were like empty and half empty beer cans all over in all the rear cup holders. And, um, and you know, things like that, that was very intentional because had I been pulled over and arrested for that, he would have come and bailed me out and he would have been my hero and I would have been more dependent and that would have given him more control. And he would have just loved that. Um, 
tried to sabotage. Um, I, I planned a, a big conference, a big event, um, and he broke into the house while I was at this, knowing that my phone was going to go crazy. And, you know, like I'm the planner, I'm the executor, I'm everything yeah. of this. And so to cause that level of stress, you know, during this event. Um, so trying to sabotage my career, he was very financially abusive. Uh, he's an attorney, so he's got money and he used that in every way you can possibly imagine. Um, I, was, I was listening to a podcast, a Susie Orman podcast just yesterday, and she was talking about financial abuse and how um, it's one in four women right now who are being financially abused. And he, oh, with the financial abuse, he was awful. He took, he took my money and um, we would, you know, we had a joint account. And so everything, the mortgage, everything was paid from that account. And, but I never insisted that my name go on anything. And so it's all his, I lost absolutely everything. And I owe him a lot of money right now, which is, you know, all I can do is laugh about it because it's so, it's so insane. Um, trying to wrap my head around it. Yeah. So, then, um, so then the stocking started and that was when things really got bad. Stocking looked like at first it was gifts. At first it was like flowers and gift baskets and things like that, which at the time I had no idea it was stocking. Um, but it's, I knew that I didn't enjoy receiving these, but I, I'm not, you know, nice person who's going to send the thank you text message, even though I really am not grateful because I didn't want this stuff. Um, but I did send those text messages, which was a huge mistake in court later. That does not look good. Um, so, so it started out as that and then covertly entering the home and because the home was in his name, he, the police couldn't do anything. So I'd call the police and they'd be like, it's his house. What do you want us to do? And of course, you know, he wouldn't um, create a lease and say that I was leasing it or renting it from him because then that would make him a landlord and then he couldn't just come in. And then I could have legal repercussions for him just coming in. So he gave me no options whatsoever. But then setting up the court paperwork, um, he start he tried he started to make it look like I owed him rent for all of the time, all of those months. Um, I got out of that because I'm smart too. Like I'm not dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I did kind of counteract a lot of those things, a lot of those little tricks that he tried to do in court. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, I lost everything. I lost, and including my children. He took my children because he he threw out false child abuse allegations. He threw out. He um, convinced my nanny to uh, uh, throw out false child abuse allegations. Um, you know, this is these are people who like when things were good in our home, were like, oh my gosh, you're an amazing mother. And I still have emails from him after the separation saying you're an amazing mother like after he left the home he emailed me saying you're an amazing mother and the judge is like it does none of it mattered it just i could have been none of it mattered so um so that gets into some of the family court system abuse too which is another big piece of it but yeah uh so he so the stocking continued got worse he was hacking into the home security system he um he tracked our location through our children, my children's cell phones. Um, and the police just looked at that and said, well, he's acting in a parental capacity. And I said, no, he's not. He's not their biological father. 
number one. And number two, he walked out of their lives and didn't even say goodbye to them. Like he's, he was tracking our location. It was very intentional. He just thought he was going to get away with it. Um, and so, you know, I had flat tires, I had stolen mail, I had just all of it, just go down the list of stalking nonsense. But I never, the police to this day still have not even brought him in for questioning. During the protective order hearing, because I did seek a protective order, uh, there was a, a chandelier that hangs over the front door and um, too high for, you know, an, a person of average height to reach, even with a broom, like it's just, it was too high. It was a, a double height ceiling, 20 whatever feet that would be. Um, and so the, the chandelier probably hung down about halfway, I would say. So, you know, you have to, the only way to access it is with a ladder. And, uh, and one day I realized that it had obviously been messed with. And so I got the ladder out and I climbed up there and there were fingerprints all over it. And there were, you know, it, it had been messed with. And so I took pictures and took those into the courtroom. And, um, and his story was that he and my older children would use that as a target for Nerf guns. And the judge, the judge was like, yeah, you're credible to him. Yeah, you're credible. And then to me, she was like, I don't believe anything you say. Wow. <laughs> It was just like, I mean, I'm laughing about this. There's nothing funny about it, but it's just one of those, you know, psychologically, if I don't laugh, I'm probably going to start screaming. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. The so, system did not help you in that particular sense. Yeah. The system failed me. Like I, I couldn't even imagine that the system could fail, but there's, you know, it's hard not to believe that there's, there isn't some corruption here that some people conversations weren't had over beers and things like that, but you know, that's a whole different story. Yeah. Um, so, so he, he made that claim that, uh, that was their Nerf gun target. And I've got that on my blog. There's a blog post that shows the pictures and everything. And, um, he said that it was frequently used as a target for Nerf guns, but there's like three fingerprints on there, you know? And so I'm like, well, if it was frequently, then wouldn't there be a lot more marks on there? You know, I mean, they just, they tried everything. Um, there's something called a mosaic threat assessment. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. I'm so, not personally. I mean, DASIS may be, but I am not personally. What's that? So the mosaic threat assessment is something that they use to assess your threat, your level, how much danger are you actually in from okay. you know, a stalker? They've got it for domestic violence offenders, and then they also use it for um, diplomats and officials and things like that. Um, and so, you know, I use the, the male DV offender version, of course, and um, he scored a nine out of 10 on like how, how close he was to killing me, basically. Wow. Um, so I fled. I finally, I had lived in fear. The, the stalking had really, truly escalated in July. And then at the end of January was when I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I was living in constant fear. I, I had so many experiences and you know, your intuition when you're going through something like that really peaks and really shows itself. And there were so many times when my intuition was like, don't go home or, you know, do this. So I would sleep at friends' houses. I would like, it was bad. It was really, really a rough time. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember going to my therapist one day and I said, I'm not healing. Like I know me and I know where I should be healing wise at this point or where I believe I should be. 
and I'm not healing. And she was like, well, you can't really heal in the environment that you got sick in. And so since he's still stalking, you're still living in that same house, you know, she was like, you're, you're still in that environment and you're not going to heal there. Um, and so, so when I did that mosaic thread assessment and I saw that he was actually a nine out of 10 and I already knew that I already knew that he was ready to strike and that I, you know, I probably avoided being killed several times, but, um, I knew that intuitively. And then when that assessment confirmed it, it was just like, I have to go. And so I had been at, at, um, with some girlfriends and, um, one woman who was there, we were more acquaintances than friends at that time, but you know, she kind of knew my story. She had been a victim of stalking at one point in her life. And so she knew a little bit about what was going on and what would be going on with me emotionally and psychologically. So she pulled me aside and she said, I know people. So I'm a phone call away. She said, you know, just kind of left it at that. I'm a phone call away. And that sat with me for probably a couple of days and, you know, living in fear and being in that um, emotional state. I finally called her up one night and I said, I need help and I need help now. And, uh, and she said, all right, sit tight. I'll, I'll call you back in a few minutes. And she got on the phone with a travel agent. We got a ticket. And a couple of days later, I was gone. I said goodbye to my children because I knew I had to leave them because it would have been kidnapping if I had taken them with me. But the choice for me was, are they better off with a mother who's far away or are they better off with a mother who's dead? Like, at least this way I can still, you know, put stuff out there on the Internet, influence them with um, strength, you know, how to be resilient, how to find your strength and your power and things like that. Um, and uh, and be ready for them whenever we do get reunited, because it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's just it's a question of when, not if. Um, so that's really kind of, I guess, the choice that I was forced to make. And he got away to this day. He has never suffered a single consequence for anything that he's done. I have a permanent spinal injury from him, but it was ruled in court that I committed domestic violence against him. Um, even though all of the medical records, a dislocated shoulder and a spinal injury, all of the medical records show that it was domestic violence that caused this, um, didn't matter. It just didn't matter. Mm. No. How this, this, this question always sounds silly when I hear reporters ask it or when I hear interviewers ask it, but I want to know how, how you're feeling. How does it feel to be out from under that abuse and on this healing journey? What does it feel like for you right now? Right now, um, I really have a lot of peace inside of me because, uh, because I know that my kids and I are stronger than this, that love is stronger than hate, that, um, you know, love always wins. And that may sound idealistic in a sense, but I really do believe that in the end, it always wins. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I feel I'm frustrated and I'm angry and I'm obviously hurt and all of those kinds of things, but I'm somebody who I continue living life even the in the face of adversity. You know, one of my favorite quotes, and I don't even know who said it, but it's when you're going through hell, keep going. And, uh, yeah. and I, 
that's kind of how I live my life. Like on the outside, it looks like I'm just living a normal life right now. A lot of people here don't even know what's going on. Um, you know, I don't go around telling my story to everybody that I meet. Um, but obviously, you know, I lay in bed at night and the last thing that I think of before I close my eyes is my children and being with them again and what it's going to be like when we are all together again. Um, and so, so there's always that, that pain and that longing inside of me, but on the outside, it looks like I'm just living a normal life. And to clarify, it is all seven children, those with him and from your previous two? You had um, so, to leave? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he, and then after after he won all of the court stuff with him and got full custody of those children, then he went to my ex-husband and they collaborated together. And without even giving me a hearing, I literally didn't, it, there was no hearing. Um, the judge took custody of the older four. So. Wow. I'm sorry. I have nothing better to say than I'm, I'm sorry. I want to go back to what you said earlier. It, it was a gift. You were, to me, as it was about your self-esteem, it was about him giving you compliments early on. And that's something that you'll take away from this, that he, you gained more self-confidence. Mm -hmm. How do you get to that point where you can look at something like that as a gift? Is it the therapy or something else? How do you get there? You know, honestly, I, one of the things that I have learned about myself is um, that I was given two gifts in this life and faith and resiliency are just sort of innate in me. And um, those are God given gifts that I thank God for. Um, and I think that's resiliency. I think it's being able to see, okay, every adverse situation that's an adversity type situation, something positive comes out of it. You just have to look for it, you know? Um, so I think it's being able to just see it from that perspective. Yeah. And, and another gift question that I, that I wrote down was your, your friend that sent you that book, you know, she, we often wonder what we can do for those bystanders, those of us who are bystanders and we wonder how to help, you know, you hear, you hear about people who, if they see an altercation, they jump in and then the abused doesn't want the help or something else happens or we say the wrong things or whatever the case may be. It's so hard to know how to help, but your friend did something very, I've never heard of that before. That's unique in my mind. So how can we help people that we see as victims is the big question. And maybe your friend is one example, but if I ask you that question, what comes to mind? How can we begin to help victims that we see to help them become survivors and escape? Um, I think that what we're doing right now, this conversation and making this conversation very public is part of helping. Um, I think if you, if you have a friend on, you know, more, a more personal scale, if you have a friend who's going through something like this, maybe just planting the seed that something's not right, that this isn't, you know, something is not right. And, um, you know, you never want to go through and say you're being abused not, I shouldn't say never, maybe there are times when it's appropriate, but you've got to be very sensitive to where the abused person is at because there's a lot of reasons we allow ourselves to be abused, you know? Um, my, my therapist doesn't actually like it when I say that I allowed myself to be abused, but in my mind, it's sort of an empowering thing to say, um, you know, yes, I allowed it because now I can say I will never allow that again. 
Um, so I, I think when you're talking about helping somebody, you've really got to know who you're talking to. And, you know, you're talking about these altercations and jumping in. I always, I'm always very hesitant to jump in because I feel like if it's an abusive, a very volatile situation, even if you stop it in that moment, but when he gets her home or, you know, whatever the abusive situation is, when they're alone again, how much worse is it going to be for that victim? I don't know. So that's a, it's a tough one for me. It's a really, really challenging question for me. Um, I think that, I think more than getting people out of that is planting seeds of somebody's inner strength and, and teaching people how strong they are on the inside. Because that, if you see yourself as a strong person, then you're less likely to continue to allow abuse and more likely to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to leave this situation. So. And then I, yeah, it's, it's very, it's a, it's a big question. So I, yeah. I wasn't sure if we could solve every, all the world's problems right there. Um, but I like how you describe planting the seeds. What I heard, also heard you say is, is listening and being aware, having an awareness of the person with whom you're interacting, that, that victim, that person who has been abused to know where they are and listen to where they are and then yeah. plant those seeds. So that was a great, that was a great piece of advice. You talked early, uh, early on uh, in the conversation, September, about red flags. Um, what are a couple of the red flags that you look back now and say, okay, if I could tell my younger self to watch out for these, or I could tell someone else to watch out for these, what would be a couple of those initial red flags? The initial red flags with him were, one, too much flattery. Um, it was over the top. Um, two, he wouldn't always return text messages and phone calls and things like that. And I realized pretty quickly that it was a power thing. Um, so I should have listened to my gut on that. Um, another one that is huge in my situation is that when, so those two years after I got divorced and before I started dating him, um, I focused on me. I really focused on like the self-love, self-healing type sort of stuff. Um, I did a lot of meditation. I learned about my ancestry. I just did a lot to, to really, um, I guess, strengthen myself internally. And, um, and so we started dating and I thought that this was such a great, healthy relationship. Um, and then at six months, we'd been together six months and then all of a sudden he flipped and, uh, and it was, uh, he was an athlete and coached this sport. Um, and so it was, it had become that season for coaching to start. And what I realized, you know, throughout the duration of the relationship is there were two different versions of him. There was an off season version and there was a, a sports season version of him. Um, and they were literally like two different personalities. So it, when it became time for that to, to start up and he started coaching, he just became a different person and I didn't like it at all. I did not like what I saw. And so I broke up with him and, uh, and we were separated for a few weeks and then we ended up back together. And what happened when we got back together, and I think during those few weeks, even that we were not together, um, was I gave up all of my self-care. I gave up everything. And I think that I knew internally that in order to be with him, I couldn't take care of myself. So I, you know, I chose him. 
which obviously was a huge mistake. But um, yeah, if you're doing those self-love practices, the meditation, eating well, I think, you know, my, my, my background is in nutrition. So I think eating well is a huge act of self-love. And then, you know, uh, what else, any, whatever you do, that's like your self-care, your self-love. If you ever start to let go of any of that, that's a red flag because you've got if you're in a healthy relationship then those things are absolutely required not that i should i don't know that i should speak to healthy relationships because i haven't been in a relationship since him and so i'm not going to claim that i'm an expert on healthy relationships uh, that's but. right no um and and i see so i, I want to make a statement while kind of asking something and it i don't want it to sound like either pandering or insensitive but september you have such poise and such strength and yet you went through this hell. So for those who are going through it, you are someone who is a, as I said, you are poised, you are strong, you are beautiful, you are accomplished. You faced this too. This isn't something that happens to, to, to weak people. This isn't something that happens to others who are less than or anything else. Like you faced this down and, and you were in the middle of it. And so I hope that gives inspiration to a listener. I hope that lets people know that if you're going through this, you are not less than, you are not weak because you can lose yourself even when you're strong, even when you went through those two years of self-care and that self-discovery, like this can happen. So what I hear you saying, September, is listen to your intuition. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, don't, don't lose yourself once you've found yourself. Um, So yeah, I don't, I guess I don't know if there's a question there, but I just, I, that, that struck me as a moment to point that out. Your strength and your poise and everything you have strikes me as, well, how can you go through this? How could you have been an, an, a, an abused person because you, you are so strong? And so, like I said, I don't want this to sound insensitive of like, well, how, I mean, how could you? But I just, like, there, even with strength, you can find yourself losing that power and control to someone else. Um, and yet, there is hope you've been through this, you found that hope. What, what is it that gives you hope nowadays that you can, you know, not fall victim to that again, or that you can help others? What, what gives you hope today? Um, about a week ago, and I posted this on Twitter, it was probably about a week ago, maybe a little bit less. I was in my room one night and I just, I realized I've hit a point where I am now unabusable because I, I know too much, I've come too far and I will never, you know, ignore those red flags again. Um, obviously I had to go through hell to get to that point, but you know, you're talking about strong women and going through this. And I think there's a couple of uh, comments that I would like to make in response to that. Number one, I really think that anybody who is in or has been in an abusive relationship actually has an incredible amount of resilience that they don't even know they have. And the reason that I say that is because when you're in that situation, you have to come up with coping mechanisms. You have to figure out ways to keep going in the face of this horror. And you do. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you're identifying as somebody who is or has been in an abusive relationship, you have a resiliency that is just astounding. Um, And so I think that's one thing to point out. Another thing is 
what's interesting is I'm going very, very public with my story because it's unacceptable. I mean, at the end, it's simply unacceptable that I lost custody of my children, that I lost, you know, ev literally everything financially. I owe him right this minute. I owe him about $19,000, um, which is insane. I'm, so like I said, I'm going very, very public. I post stuff on LinkedIn and on LinkedIn, I've got a pretty big following. I've been on there trying to build it for quite a while. And um, I have CEO women sending me messages now saying, thank you for being so transparent. Thank you for speaking up. It's not, it's not just stay at home moms who are being abused. It's not just, you know, um, victims of childhood abuse who are being abused. It's women that you wouldn't even imagine are being abused they are and so i think that's part of why it's my responsibility to be very very public and very very transparent with my story yeah absolutely thank thank you for sharing that because it is you know we, we yes i echo all of that yes to all of that it is not just weak it is not just stay at home it is not just fill in the blank it is any person, any woman, any man, any cisgender, any transgender, like any victim is not less than because they have faced this. There that's, is a strength there. Yeah. And that's why abusers choose a lot of the victims that they choose is because they see a strength, because they see something in them that makes them very, very jealous. And they're trying to break that in you and bring you down to their level. So if you're being abused, I mean, I, it sounds awful in a sense, but if you're somebody who's being abused or has been abused, it's because you've got something special. You really do. They're just trying to destroy it. So don't let them. That's encouraging. So you mentioned earlier, September, that you uh, you tweet, you're on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll share those. You have uh, a blog that you've shared some things. Can you, can you share your website as well so that people can connect with you? Yeah, the blog address is um, septemberburton.com slash home slash blog. Okay. One day I'll fix that. <laughs> but, but yeah. Okay. So septemberburton.com on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Um, is there any last, I mean, you've been so inspirational already. Is there any last inspiration you want to leave listeners with from your story? Um. I think the biggest thing is never let go of hope. You know, I mean, you could look at my situation right now and say, how can you even be there speaking? You still don't have, you're still not with your children. I, I live in hiding, like nobody knows where I am. Um, my family doesn't know that I'm in hiding. Nobody knows where I am. And um, and it's a it's kind of a lonely way to live, but at the same time, like the, to me, the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter and brighter all the time. So I think a lot of people look at that and say, well, how can you be speaking and how can you be telling people to hold on to hope when you haven't come out the other side yet? And I think that it's because I know it's coming. So it's, it's that hope and it's that never ending um, confidence and faith. Um, so, yeah. And, and the, one of the last lines of your email to us was that you speak to empower. So thank you for empowering others who face this and for sharing your story on, on this episode. So September, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. This is wonderful. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org or call our hotline at 800-828-2023.
we are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.